There we go. Okay, so we are studying the book of Proverbs with the commentary of the rabbi named Malbim. And um, we are doing a lot of talk about intelligence and about how intelligence leads to morality or lack thereof, okay? Uh, and obviously there's different kinds of intelligence and there's also different kinds of morality. Um, and since we're studying today in the memory of Ari Ben David, I will say that for those of you, I see some of you are having a drink or a snack or whatever, and there's, there's some drinks and snacks right here. Um, if you would just say a blessing, if you know the specific blessing to say, you can say it in Hebrew, but even if you don't, you could just say before you eat or drink, thank you God for this food or drink, and that that intention should be for the memory of Ari Ben Chana. Um, and for those of you who are here in person, before you leave, it's traditional to say this blessing to Sherry and Deb before you go. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we are on chapter 16, verse 20. Uh, for those of you who are following along in the book, that's page 172 and 173. All right. So here we are, verse 20. Maskil Aldavar Yimsatov. With intelligence about a matter, a person will find good. And one who trusts in God, happy is he. Okay, so what this means is the first part of the verse is telling us that when a person approaches a situation with intelligence, then they're going to find good, right? And the second half of the verse tells us that um, somebody who trusts in God will be happy. Now, there's many words for intelligence in Hebrew, biblical Hebrew. There's also many words for happiness, and there's many different kinds of happiness. The specific word used here in the Hebrew for happy, one who trusts in God will be happy, is ashrav. Ashrav comes, you know, the word ashray. Some people are familiar with the ashray prayer. Some of you are familiar with prayer, right? Ashray means happy or fortunate or lucky uh, is the one who dwells in God's house. So that, that's what that word means. It means it, it, it's, a, it's a very specific type of happiness. And what it means is, the joy that one feels from rejoicing in their spiritual, in finding something spiritual or in finding themselves in a spiritual state, right? There are many things that can make us happy. I mean, we can find happiness in a delicious meal, happiness in a friendship, happiness in a beautiful day, happiness that someone we love is, you know, in a good place. There's so many different kinds of happiness, right? Uh, a sense of security, a sense of serenity. You just got good news. You just came into a lot of money. <laughs> There's lots of things that will naturally bring us to a state of happiness. But this specific kind of happiness is I'm, I'm feeling spiritually connected. I feel like I'm in my Zen. I'm in my mojo. I'm doing what I know I should be doing. And I, I feel God's nearness. And I feel like I'm living my purpose. And that is a spiritual joy. And this feeling of luckiness, which I don't, I don't like the word luckiness because I don't like the word luck because I don't believe in luck. I believe in blessings from above, right? But like, I'm so blessed and I'm so fortunate that, that I get to feel this spiritual connectedness. That's ashray. Okay. So a lot of English words needed to translate this one tiny Hebrew word, but that's what it means. Okay. So um, with intelligence about a matter, a person will find good and one who trusts in God will feel this type of spiritual serenity and this, this type of spiritual joy. Okay, so let's go to the commentary. 
And, and by the way, the word intelligence, the, the Hebrew that's used for this is maskil. Maskil comes from the Hebrew word seichel, which, which, which became kind of Yiddishized, right? And are you mm-hmm. familiar with this word seichel? Like, use your seichel. Like, use your common sense, you know? Mm-hmm. Or loosely translated, like, don't be an idiot, <laughs> right? Come on, come on, use your, right? use your seichel. So what does this mean? Like, use your common practical sense about a matter, and then you will find good. So that's the, that's the, um, translation it's always it's always not just interesting but instructive when you read an english word to actually look at the hebrew because the hebrew words are chosen very deliberately there are different kinds of translations like if you look in the book of proverbs by king solomon is you know it's an it's an ancient biblical text that's been translated like thousands of times there could be a hundred different ways of translating that verse but the hebrew the hebrew stays the same okay Without an intelligent choice of means to achieve his purpose, a person will not find the good he seeks. Every person, right, in this world is looking for good. We want to, we want to find good. We want to have a good life. We want to connect ourselves to good people. We want to do good, right? And obviously everybody's going to go about that different ways, right? Sometimes I, I think something is good and it's not good, or sometimes it's good for me. It's not good for anybody else. <laughs> but either way, people are generally seeking a good life for themselves, success happiness, good, good, whatever you, however you translate or define good. How are you going to get there? You have to use your seichel. Seichel is the means by which you will find that good. Now, I have to tell you, I had such a, such a like iconic example of that this morning. So, you know, whenever, whenever I talk about my kids, I always say one of my kids and I figure, well, nobody's going to know I'm talking about because I have so many of them. <laughs> but there's only one left at home who's going to school. So if I say one of my kids was going to school, everybody's going to know who I'm talking about. And then that would be Lush and Mara, like talking bad about my kid. So I'm just going to say one of my kids was going somewhere this morning. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a constructive. It's a, it's a constructive. One of my kids was going somewhere this morning. And this particular child, he or she was not in the best of moods, which is okay. Some people, mornings are not their thing. Or afternoon, <laughs> or evening. <laughs> so the person left the house in a bit of a huff, and I was left. You know, like I was thinking about this for Mother's Day. It is actually crazy how motherhood can make you doubt everything about your self-esteem. You know, like the smallest conversation, and you're like, "What am I doing? What am I doing? What am I?" Even if you know, you basically know what you're doing. So I'm sitting there on the couch thinking to myself, what am I doing? What am I doing? What am I doing? I'm like, I have to do something. I have to change this. This is not okay. We can't be doing this every morning. And then I'm like, really? <laughs> Let's say that you were doing a parent coaching session and somebody calls you up and says, I'm struggling with my teenager and they're leaving the house. Like, what would you tell them? Do you know how hard it was for me to shift my mind to sechel mode, to common sense mode? Because I'm stuck in emotional defensiveness mode, right? Mm-hmm. It's not that it's not there. It's I couldn't access it. It's like it was locked behind a paywall or something. I couldn't get it. It took me, I'm not kidding you, a good hour of thinking about this until I was like, okay, I, I think I know what I would tell somebody who called me. Like, I think I can, you know, unlock Seychel, <laughs> level Seychel, unlock new level. And I was like, okay, I know what I would do. I would set up like an incentive system. Like I would figure out, well, what does this kid want and figure out a way to incentivize them with the behaviors that I, I think not, 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 not to get better behaviors for me, 
better behaviors for themselves to live a good life. I was thinking about that. I was totally thinking of bringing back the marble jar. That's my generation. That's right. It's such an impact on me when our kids. I don't even know if I had kids yet when we went to your house and yeah. learned about the marble jar, but we had a marble jar. Yes. Oh my gosh. This is okay. So th- those <laughs> of you who have been studying with me for a while, we used to do a marble jar when our big kids were little and it was very, very incentivizing actually, but I, I can't think believe what I used to do for marble. Oh. <laughs> for real. I'll give you a they were like magical. I'll give you a marble. Know, my kids used to say to me, I love you and the marble jar. <laughs> I love it. Although I have to say when my big kids were little, the three, the first three were very close in age and they would see each other's marble jars. Was that like, yeah. yeah. So now I only have like one little one at home and she's the only one with the marble jar. And I think she probably thinks it's very juvenile, but she, she or he thinks it's very juvenile. <laughs> in any case, what this is telling us here, right, is that, um, where are we? Without an intelligent choice of means to achieve his purpose, a person will not find the good he seeks. I, I want better. I want a better result for my family. I want to have better mornings. I want to have better relationships. Then you got to turn on your intelligence. You got to turn on your seichel. You cannot act from emotional mode. Hi, Terry. So Hi, you know Terry. this Thanks is this is like a really powerful um, state of mind that I think we all experience. You know, sometimes no matter how intelligent we are, or even if you know, like I, I often give this advice to others. It doesn't mean that it's always going to be accessible to me for myself. Okay. If he uses his mind, he will like anyone seeking, he will like anyone seeking. Oh, if he uses his mind, he will like anyone seeking and finding his objective. So this is like, uh, is there room on this bench next to you? Here, here, there's room right here, Sherry. And also, do you mind bringing the chair yeah. right inside? Okay, okay Mila, come you. to hi. Whatever it is, I appreciate it. I'm, and I'm sure it's delicious. <laughs> and thank you so much. Yeah. So, um, yeah, sure, go for it. Okay, so, so the commentary is continuing. Oh, that's so the commentary is continuing that it's it's like a guarantee, you know. Sometimes people think to themselves, "I'm I'm, I'm never gonna get this." Do you, I don't know if you guys remember how many of you grew up on Sesame Street. Do you guys remember that guy? I think his name was Don Music, and he used to yeah. play the piano. What's his name? I Don remember. Music? And every now and then he would say, "I'll never get it right. Never, never, never." And he like collapses on his piano. Remember this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every now and then I feel like that guy. <laughs> I'll never get it right. Never, never. So the Torah says, like, figuring it out in life, it's not some big cosmic mystery. There are steps to get there. Step number one, use your head, use your seichel, right? You, you have intelligence in there. You just have to unlock it. Because when we operate from emotional mode, it usually steers us wrong, right? right? Or, or we could even call it from animal mode. What happens when an animal feels threatened? It's fight, flight, freeze. You retaliate. You get defensive. I'm going to attack you. I'm going to fight you. I'm going to run away and retreat. I'm going to freeze and have no idea what to do. But we're not animals. We're humans. It's a qualitatively different species, science notwithstanding. 
We have moral understanding. We have the power of free will. We have the gift of our rational mind. We have seichel, right? So even if you sometimes feel like, oh, I'm never get it right, never, 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 you know, it's like God says, I know, sweetheart, I know you're on overload right now, but you have something called a mind. And that's the, that's the step. If you use it, you will find the good. It's tried and true, okay? Um, there is another way in life, however, to trust in God, believing implicitly that he, God, will do everything necessary, right? So it's like a partnership. There's a partnership in this lifetime between me and God. I have to do my share in the partnership and God has to do his share in the partnership, right? I'll, I'll give you an example of this partnership. It's a very beautiful example. In the Torah, when the Torah commands us to observe the holidays, right? So the Torah says, you shall be happy on your holiday. You, your son, your daughter, your man servant and your female servant. Back in the day, everybody had servants. Okay, <laughs> amen. Um, and then, okay, so you, your son, your daughter, your servants, um, and the Levite, and the convert, and the poor that are, and I forgot the other category, that are in your midst. So the Talmud makes the following statement. God is saying to the Jewish people, if you, oh, the convert, the Levite, the widow, and the orphan. That's a good, yeah, the, the widow went off. So God says, not the stranger. The stranger is the convert. That's oh, what it means. So okay. Somebody who, who was a foreigner and has oh. joined the Jewish people. So the Thomas says the following. God says to the Jewish people, if you take care of my four, I'll take care of your four. <laughs> and you're celebrating your holiday. Make sure to include the people in your community who are at risk of being marginalized and vulnerable. Right, a Levite in biblical Israel, a Levite didn't have land of their own. They traveled all around teaching and leading the Jewish people. And every now and then they would serve a shift in the temple in Jerusalem. They didn't have their own territory. A convert, somebody who has converted to Judaism, they don't have family to spend the holidays with. They need the community to open their homes and their hearts. A widow and a orphan also are people who don't have their complete family around them and they're at risk of feeling vulnerable. So God says, let's make a partnership, okay? You take care of my people. Those people are my people, the vulnerable people. Then I'll take care of your people, your son, your daughter, your servants. You take care of mine, I'll take care of yours, right? That's an example of how God sets up this world as a partnership between us and God. So here too, God is saying, you're seeking good in your life. You want to have good results. You want to have a good life, a life of happiness, a life of success, a life of love, connections, relationships, good accomplishments. You want to have all of that? Let's have a partnership. Let me tell you what you should do. Use your seichel. Use your common sense. Make good choices. <laughs> Act with your intelligence and not with your emotional instincts. And then trust me. Trust me. That's the second half of the verse. I'll deliver. I have a good track record, right? Says God. You don't have to figure it all out by yourself. You don't always have to carry the burden alone. I'm here with you and I'm trusting you, right? It's like the expression, you do what's right, and God does what's left. <laughs> Good, right? Mm. So the commentary says, 
this brings not some chi- oh, just back to back up. There is another way in life, however, to trust in Hashem, to trust in God, believing implicitly that He will do everything necessary. This brings not some chance success by good fortune, but basic spiritual happiness. And I want to tell you something. It's not just that you're going to get that spiritual happiness that we spoke of earlier when you get the results that you wanted, right? Let's say I'm in a situation where, which I am, one of my kids started in a new program and I really want it to succeed. And I feel nervous and anxious and hoping and will it work out, right? And I have to constantly remind myself, you know what? It's all in God's hands. We did everything we could. We researched and we tried and we advocated and we waited and we prayed and we paid and we <laughs> we did everything that we could. And now we sit back and we say, you know what? It's in God's hands now. There's nothing I can do. Even without knowing what the end of the story is, I don't know if it's going to work out or not. I already feel calm because I know I did my best and God does what's left, right? I can't take ownership for every result. That's exhausting and fake, right? So this spiritual calm comes to you the moment you start trusting God. Whether or not you get what you're hoping for, that's not even what the calm is about. The calm is about the trust along the process before you even know what the end result will be, right? How is this job going to work out? It's in God's hands. How is this relationship going to work? It's in God's hands. How is this program? It's in God's hands, right? Is it going to rain? Is it... You know, the day that I found out that Sherry and Deb's father's funeral was the one day this week that I was out of town. My husband and I were both out of town. It was my nephew's bar mitzvah Tuesday night. At first, I was feeling so stressed out about it and so frustrated. How could it be that I'm missing a funeral? How could it be that I'm not going to be there? You know, and then I was like, wait, I didn't work this out. God worked this out. And it clearly, for reasons beyond my understanding, wasn't meant to be. The minute I got myself into that mindset, I felt calm. I still felt wistful. I wished I could have been there, but it wasn't, that wasn't in the cards for me. So what am I going to keep spinning my wheels about that? You know, and the gift of that is this spiritual calm, which is like priceless. Okay. Thoughts or comments on this verse? was thinking about when you were saying like I'm the parent coach like how do I not know how to handle this right and I think like with Tammy being a psychologist or maybe a therapist like it's the same thing but even if we didn't have that knowledge it's right it's always easier to like tell your friend how they should handle the situation and right because you've often said you can't meet emotion with logic Mm -hmm. so when you're and so what I was thinking about was like an hour later you were able to think because like you were farther away from the immediate emotion Mm -hmm. yeah which is why I tell my clients to go to bed mad and wake up tomorrow and then decide if they're going to continue the talk because when you're emotional it's like you're just going to stay up to four o'clock talking about the same thing being mad Yep. <laughs> yep. Sleep on it. You can't mix emotion with logic. No. You can't meet emotion with logic. Yeah. We can't meet emotion with emotion either. So <laughs> you just have to wait till you're calm down. Well, but I feel like meeting emotion with emotion is like if somebody's very upset yeah. about something, you can you can 
commiserate with them on an oh, emotional yes. level. Oh, are not upset with you. Yes. yes. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. It's not about you. Yeah. You know what? That's not me, is it? It could be. I have no idea. I mean, we didn't. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually, one of my, one of my kids <laughs> once said to me, I was like, actually, he says this periodically when they see that I'm very upset about something. They say to me, you know, I think this is maybe not the best time to talk about this. Brilliant. <laughs> actually brilliant. Yeah. Uh, like one of my kids when they see that i'm upset about something they'll say i, I think it would be better if we talked about this a different time <laughs> and i i will always say you know what you're absolutely right like glad you thought of that and not me but yes you're absolutely right all right any thoughts or comments on the zoom okay we will continue. Any other thoughts here before we continue? I was going to say that um, we've been working on this community, building this community. Yeah, over do you want to turn this around so everybody oh, can gosh. hear you? I thought it wasn't supposed to look at mirrors. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, so we are supposed to, um, we're supposed to break ground possibly end of June, end of July for this community at Ursuline, as you know, Deb and a lot of people around this table, and I'm really excited. But I'm also very nervous because that means someone's going to eventually have to tell Noah that he can't live there anymore. And that is very challenging, as you know, and I know. And, um, and, for, and you know, I don't have to go into all the details, but you know, this is very helpful because we worked really hard. There's so many variables. What will be? What will it look like? Will you even like it? Oh my gosh, what if we did this for 11 years and it doesn't work out? What if this is not the right place? What if it's the right place for 24 people, but not my child? What if I put all this time and effort and energy and like, what if, what if, what if, what if, all these what ifs, like, oh my gosh, what if I, it's a lot of money, it's a lot of time, it's about, and so, yeah, this is very helpful for that. So, um, as my very Christian girlfriend, Mary says, you know, you got to put it on the God shelf. And I said, <laughs> I, and I always say that uh, the God shelf is so gigantic. I don't understand. And she said, there's no end to the God shelf, Sherry. It's infinite. I love that. She always says, I love that. So the God shelf. And yep. I just thought, put it on the God shelf. I'm going to be yeah, stealing so that. I thought that was <laughs> That's what I always think of. That's beautiful. It's going to, it's going to fall off the ball. And she's like, it can't fall yeah. off the wall. <laughs> well, I am wishing you, you. I'm blessing you. Thank you. Again, wish is sort of about luck, right? Yeah. But a blessing is harnessing the power of the divine. So I am blessing you with calm in the process of not knowing. Okay, thank you. And there's one more meeting tomorrow at Pepper Pike City Hall about things like where are the path lights going? Just you know, a Jewish treat user. So we're just left with that. Sherry, mm -hmm. what is it? I'm, I don't know what is it. Oh, it's a community we've been working on with the city of Pepper Pike on 3.3 acres of the Ursuline Sisters land right adjacent to Ursuline College Okay. for 25 special needs adults to live their life kind of like an aging home. That same concept until they pass if it's the right fit for them. It's a community for them and Noah will be one of the 25 young adults. Yeah. Yes. And Jerry's been working on this for, for a long, long time. Over a decade. So. And you know what? Every moment that you worked on this project was a mitzvah. Mm -hmm. Whether yeah. whether it ends up working out or yeah. working out for your child, yeah. like either which way, 
This was a decade of mitzvahs, you know? So that's not wasted ever. True, true. So gift that will keep on giving long after you are. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. All right. Verse 21. Yikare Navon. The wise of heart shall be called a man of discernment. And the sweetness of lips increases learning received. Okay, so in this verse, we're talking about two different kinds of intelligence. We're talking about chacham lev. Chacham means wisdom, right? Chacham, like, like a chacham like a also. That's become Yiddishized. Like, don't be such a chacham. Like, don't be such a wise, you know, wise guy, like a smart aleck. You know, but that's not actually what it means in the Torah. It means an actual wise person. <laughs> Sometimes the Yiddish words have got, gone out of control. You know what I mean? Like the word chutzpah has taken on a very positive meaning. You read my mind. The word chutzpah has taken on a very positive meaning. Like, whoa, you have guts, you know, in, in, in Judaism, like biblical, you know, it's not really considered a very positive attribute. I mean, somebody who's like completely disrespectful, um, and yeah, yeah, I once looked it up in a dictionary. It said unmitigated effrontery, which, you know, when you have to look up the definition, what? Effrontery. Effrontery. <laughs> that's what it said. Um, the word mensch is a perfect example. Mensch in Yiddish means a person. That's all a it man, means, no. a person, a man, a man. Um, I remember when my brothers and sisters used to play with these little, like, like these little, these little play school people, you oh, know, yeah. they we used to call them menchies, like oh, little people. We still have <laughs> did we have menchies when you guys were little? I think it was more my sibling. Mm-hmm. Like this we call them. And then when I got older and I realized the word mensch had become known to be a decent human being, <laughs> you know, like a good person. Like mm-hmm. pretty people sure just that is quite a compliment. <laughs> right. What? People a mensch. It's quite a compliment. Right. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so here chacham leave means somebody who is wise of heart. This person shall be called Navon. Navon is another kind of intelligence. Navon comes from the word Bina, which means intuition. It means to derive something from within something else, to read between the lines, right? When you say that somebody has intuition, you mean that the knowledge is not overt. It's not something that was told to them so openly. It was something that they intuited or discerned from between the lines. You know, like if somebody says, no, I don't think that's going to work. But how do you know? I can't explain it. I just have a sense, right? There is always a reason. You just might not know what it is, you know? Maybe there was a little body language or a little, you know, unexpressed emotion that you sort of sense, or, or there was something about that person that just tipped you off that you don't trust them or whatever it is, right? That's called intuition. So a person who's wise in their heart, we call this person a navon, and the sweetness, metek comes from the word matok, matok. In Hebrew means sweet, right? And in Israel, if you want to call a, a girl or a woman sweetheart, you say metuka, sweetie. That's right, same word. The sweetness of lips, Yosef Lekach, increases learning received. Okay, so what does this mean? So the commentary says as follows By habituation and study, the wise in heart, right? Okay, so let's just start there. Being wise of heart, you know, some people think of this as something you're just born with. Oh, she's brilliant. Okay, wait. Habituation and study. No, no, no. You have to work hard to get that smart. 
you know? And I think the same thing is true of happiness. I remember speaking about this in the past about my grandmother, who was like such a happy person. And she, she's still a happy person. I mean, she's, she has dementia and she doesn't really communicate that much, but she's still a happy person when you see her and she smiles and she's calm and she's happy. And, you know, it's just unbelievable. when I think about how much difficulty she had been through in her life. And I, when I was little, I used to think to myself, okay, she's just a happy person. Like some people are just born happy, but the older I got and the more I understood this woman had been to Auschwitz, lost almost all her family there. Her husband died when he was 39. My father, her son died when he was 30. Her next husband died right after I got married. To say that a woman who has sustained so many losses was just happy, no. And I realized the older I get, the more I realized she worked hard to be that happy. You know, it is a state of mind. And, you know, sometimes people say to me, oh, you're so good. You're so happy. I'm like, do you know how hard it is to be this happy? <laughs> But I think that it's true of a lot of things. You know, this is this is something I read about in this book. We discussed this book a lot, Grit by Angela Duckworth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, such a good book. And one of the things she talks about in the book, she talks about how like grit and perseverance are, you know, just trying to prove in different ways how that's much more indicative of success than raw talent. You know, but when we look at somebody who's successful will say, oh, they're so talented, right? Usually you don't say, oh, they worked so hard, you know, and, and she explores in the book, why is that? Why do we have a tendency, you know, if you see somebody, you know, an Olympian or a genius or somebody who wrote this incredible book, like, oh my gosh, so talented, right? One of the reasons why we choose somewhere, first of all, you, you can see talent. You can't see the hard work. The hard work is all the stuff that happened behind the scenes. But aside from that, there was something about us that wants to attribute it to natural born intelligence or talent. Why? The fundamental attribution bias. <laughs> Explain. <laughs> Explain. The fundamental attribution bias is where we attribute other people's behaviors to their innate, like their temperament or their character and our own behaviors to situational factors. So if we're playing the meet and you're late, that's because you're inconsiderate. <laughs> me, I had, uh, you know, uh, some variables that made me late, but you, you're inconsiderate. Uh -huh, uh -huh, interesting. So I think that's for sure true. But I think what Mila said is also very true. It's easier that way, mm -hmm. right? If I look at somebody doing something amazing and I say, wow, they worked so hard. Do you know what that means for me? Mm -hmm. I could also work so hard and be that amazing, mm -hmm. but I don't want to work so hard. So I'm just going to say, well, they're so talented. I'm not so talented. So I don't have to do that, right? It's actually very interesting when you look at particularly I'm talking about sports or the Olympics, like athletics, which is something that it's a talent that's very easy to see. You know, if you actually go back and read biographies, a lot of times there wasn't a lot of natural talent in the beginning. And it was something that a person wanted to do it so badly that they decided they were going to do it. I don't know how many of you have heard Saul Blinkoff speak. He came to a Shabbaton of ours right. a long time ago. Anyway, he, he's a Disney animator and he talks about from the time he was a small child, he wanted to be a Disney animator and he worked like a maniac to become a Disney animator. Like everything else in his life was secondary to being a Disney animator. And he says, he goes, when I was first in college, he's like, I didn't have more talent than anybody else. I was just so what? Possibly less than possibly less. 
art school yeah, friends. Yeah, <laughs> he just said that. He goes, I was so driven. Nobody wanted it as badly as I did. So nobody worked as hard as I did because I drew all the time in all my spare time. I didn't do other things, you know? So yeah, when we say, oh, oh they're brilliant. Oh, they're so smart. Okay, habituation and study. You too can be that smart. <laughs> you try, you work, you try, you work, you study, you try, you work, you know? So with habituation and study, the wise in heart has more fully absorbed the principles of ethics into his emotional and instinctive life than somebody who is merely wise. So what's the difference between a chacham and a chacham lev? A chacham is a person who has wisdom. That means you know a lot. And it even means that you know what to do. Because we didn't say that yet they have knowledge. That's a different kind of intelligence. It's called da'at. We didn't say they have knowledge. We said they have chachma. Chachma means wisdom. It's not just that I know a lot of things. I know what to do with all of those things. That's fine. But chachma still lives up here in your mind. How are you going to get that wisdom into your heart so that your emotions want you to do the right thing? Right? There was a Hasidic rabbi who lived a couple hundred years ago, the Kutzka Rebbe. He has a lot of a lot of quotable quotes. If you look him up, the Kutzka Rebbe on Google, he's, he said a lot of really smart things. One of the things he said is the greatest distance of the univ in the universe is from your heart, your mind to your heart. And that's why Alan Morinas, who is a contemporary Musa writer, he named one of his books with heart in mind. What if you could fuse your heart and your mind so that what you knew was also what you wanted. Wouldn't that be amazing, right? So when we talk about a chacham lev, a person who has wisdom in their heart, what we mean is this is a person who has absorbed the principles of ethics into his emotional and instinctive life. This is a person who doesn't only know a lot of things and doesn't only know what to do, but now he wants to do what he knows is the right thing to do. That's amazing, okay? This person still has to struggle to impose a received morality on his rebellious nature. Don't make the mistake of thinking that if you're that smart, you'll never struggle. Life is about struggle. We are here to struggle. We are here to overcome challenges. We're here to do the hard work of working on ourselves, right? It's like if a person is playing a video game and they play so much that eventually it becomes too easy for them. You know what they're gonna do? They're gonna stop playing. What's the point of playing that game? That's why, um, that's why video games, they make each level harder and harder and harder. Why? Because as your skills grow, you have to be consistently challenged because otherwise you're not gonna play that game anymore. And that video game developer is gonna lose money. So they have to make sure to keep you engaged by keeping the challenge strong. So God is like the video game developer. As you get good at level one, he's gonna level up and give you new challenges and new challenges. The point of this life is not <laughs> the point of this life is not to be on an all expense paid vacation, right? The point of this life is that we're here on a business trip. We have things to accomplish. We have business to tie up. We have deals to broker. We have people to meet. We have things to say. We have stuff to check off our list. We're not here to chill. I just saw somebody advertised in my daughter's uh, seventh grade mother's chat, a new night camp for the summer. They called it Camp Chillax. 
<laughs> just camp and chillax because that's what all the kids want to do they just want to chillax like good for you kid do it now while you can <laughs> right but this is what the Talmud says, Adam la'amal yulad, a man was, a person was born to toil. We're here to do the work because guess what? That's the only way to become a better human being. That's the purpose for which we are here. Debbie. Just because you said it, you're not very relaxed. There's a challenge. We have to be as I'm holding my breath that you're saying. Like, I, I want to chill out a little bit. But. So this is why God created night. Because we need to rest. What? What did you say? Yes, that's right. Sabbath and holidays. These are all times to take a breath, you know, drink in the fuel that will allow us to continue. But you know what my grandfather used to say? Schluff is what? You can rest in the grave. Schluff is for Yenem Belt. Sleep is for the next world. We would say, we would say, relax, relax. Schlup is for Yenavelt. Sleep is for the next world. But okay, but that putting that aside, right? Of course, we need to recharge and refresh. Of course, we do. The point is, you know, who was it that said this? Rabbi Shimon Russell. He said, your problems aren't in your way, your problems are your way. Your problems aren't in your way. Your problems are your way. Meaning if you think you're here to relax all the time and whatever happens to you is in your way of relaxing and therefore a bad thing, you are misunderstanding this entire universe. Your problems are your way to grow. Think about what Sherry just talked about, this project that she's been working on, right? And how if you remind yourself, oh, wait, I'm feeling stressed out because I really want this to work. And what if this, and what if that, okay, that's a problem. That is the way, the mechanism by which I can now work on myself and work on my faith and work on calming myself and trying to be happy no matter what's happening around me and becoming a better person. If I wouldn't have that challenge, if I wouldn't have that problem, I would be lacking the mechanism by which to become a more developed and refined person then who would I be? I would be at level one of the video game my whole life. Nebuch. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And to look back at our former selves and say, look at me, I've come so far. I've grown so much. I'm a much better person than I used to be. There is no nachas greater than that. So your problems aren't in your way. Your problems are your way. Can I respond to Mama Loveman's yes. angst. Tippy, we named her Tippy in Israel, remember? Tippy. Yeah, so I felt the exact same way you did it. When I first heard that, I was just like, this is daunting. Like, this is terrible. <laughs> and then someone said to me, though, because you rise, like, you grow from the problem, even though, like, the, the challenge is going to meet you where you're at, but you've leveled up. So it's not that it just keeps feeling harder and harder and harder. It's right. Like you're ready. You're there. You're ready for it. And I was like, I don't know. It made me feel better to think that. Well, it's right. It's just a good point. It's just, it's just as hard as the first level was for the person I was then. Yes. Right. Yes. Right. It's not that it gets like. It is still daunting. Listen, I'm not here to whitewash it. We're here to do the work, people. I'm not here to whitewash that. I'm here to hold your hand. Thank <laughs> you.
grateful for all that. You know, how do you think we got to where we are? <laughs> okay. So let me finish this um, commentary. The person of discernment also has easy control of his instincts since he understands the moral laws with such clarity that they become objects of rational knowledge for him. Okay, so this would be like, if you can all think about some kind of moral dilemma that you were in, but you knew immediately what to do. It wasn't hard for you, right? You, you were presented with a moral challenge, but you knew, you knew what to do, right? You got there by virtue of developing your morality. It got easy because it was hard right? It's like a person who trains to run in a marathon. When you first start, you can't run a marathon. You know, you can maybe run a mile and then it's hard and you train and you train and you train and you train and you train. And because you work so hard now, what was once hard is easy. The wise in heart does not have his considered understanding of moralism, but he accepts it equally in his nature. And by making it fluent on his lips, he can increase his knowledge of moral wisdom that he receives from others, though without inner understanding. So the second part of the verse that says, the sweetness of his lips increases learning received. That means that even if you don't really understand it, if you say the right thing and you do the right thing, eventually it will sink in on the inside. So what this verse is really describing is two different ways to learn, which we've spoken about many times. The first way to learn is from the inside out, right? Meaning I understand something, I know it to be true, I feel it in my heart, therefore I do it, right? The other way is what we're talking about, the sweetness of the lips is from the outside in. I, I don't really understand why I should do this, but I'm gonna do it anyway. And eventually it rubs off on me on the inside. You know, I remember, I've, I'm sure I've shared this with some of you, the first time I went to the hotel when I was 18 years old, I went to Israel for the first time, I was there for a whole year, an academic year. And my whole, you know, growing up, everyone was like, Israel, Jerusalem, the Kotel. Oh my gosh. And I've seen so much, heard so many songs about the Kotel and pictures of the Kotel, people crying at the Kotel. I thought I was going to get there and have this like, come to Moses moment. <laughs> I was going to just be like blown away by this like spiritual experience. Okay. First of all, totally jet lagged. It was August in Israel, which means it was about 100 degrees, okay? We're standing there, I'm sure you're still in like a, the height of day, broad daylight, it's smoiling outside. It was probably crowded too. It was probably crowded. And I'm, I'm standing there and I'm looking at the wall and I'm like, it's a wall. <laughs> it's a wall. I'm like so glad that you are saying it because when I went to Israel and I was by the wall, I was expecting like I know yes these expectations these, are so you know, unhealthy thunderbolt of emotions yep flooding over you and you're just <laughs> I was so I was so underwhelmed and you know what and okay fine and I just like I felt like a little bit of an idiot and some of my classmates were doing that whole weeping at the wall thing you know fine I felt a little deflated and also a little bit like what's wrong with me but okay, fine. Well, for that whole year, like every time I was feeling kind of lonely or sad or confused, I would go to the hotel and I would pray and I would kind of pour out my heart there. And you know, when I left Israel at the end of that year, and I didn't know, I in the end, I came back a few months later, but I didn't know that then. I was so sad to leave and I was crying. Why? Because I had built a relationship with the wall over mm -hmm. the 10 months that I had been there. And now it meant something to me. Mm -hmm. But what I'm trying to bring out here is that relationship grew from the outside in. 
it wasn't a part of me on the inside. I didn't have those feelings, but I just kept going back and I kept going back and I kept going back. And eventually it grew, the emotions and the connections grew inside of me. And this is true of relationships in general. You do and you give and you go and you, you know, do the motions and you do the actions and then it grows the emotions inside of you. So what this is saying is that if someone tells you something wise, just say it with your lips, say those sweet words with your lips, just repeat them over and over again, like a mantra, even if you don't feel it, right. You know, you know, the expression, fake it till you make it. So I heard someone say, fake it till you awake it. Isn't that good? That's going in your journal. (laughs) Fake it till you awake it. So you do the motions on the outside and it awakens the inner connection. That's why it says, the sweetness of your lips increases learning received, right? So when you hear something wise, even if you don't fully get it, just say it, repeat it, do it, practice it. And eventually it will awaken the connections and the emotions within you. That's why I want to go there again. Because at first it was the historical place, everything from the outside. Now I know. Yeah. Oh gosh, Sherry, can I borrow your pencil one second? Yes. I just want to mark where we. Mm. Thank you, Tim. Okay. Any thoughts or comments on this? Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad I could do it. Can I see something to Sherry? Really? Yeah, hang on one second, Dana. Someone's just saying something here. What was the first thing you said? Yes, yes. Yeah, right. We sat on a beach all day in one climate and read a book. That's right. That's absolutely right. Yep. Dana, yes. I just want to say to Sherry, I was going to send you a message, but my condolences and your dad must have been phenomenal because you. <laughs> Thank That's you. all I need to say. My thoughts and prayers are with you. Thank you. My sister's here and my mother, and we really all appreciate being here and learning the merit of Ari Ben David and just continued learning in his merit and any blessings you can say from my sister, Deborah, my mother, Tippy, and all my girlfriends who are around the table. And really, it's such an honor to be with you guys today during Shiva. I just want to hold up, um, Heather, can you pass the sign? Um, I just want to hold up the sign. If you guys, if you, is this backwards or can you see it correctly? It's good. It's good. Oh, um, can if see you guys unmute yourselves and you can do the prayer as a group to offer blessings to Sherry and, and her family, this would be a good opportunity. And that, that then you get the midst of paying a shiva call. May the omnipresent comfort you among the mourners of Zion and Judaism and Jerusalem. (laughs) Thank you so much, everybody, for participating. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, may Sherry's father's neshama have an aliyah. Amen. Amen. Amen.